0: Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1 as we sum up a passage of ecstatic overture by Paul in his primal epistle, Ephesians. There will be a ladies' prayer time immediately after service today, and I always rejoice at that prospect, and so let's, we'll keep it a little bit quiet at that end of the hall afterwards if you want to be polite. If you don't want to be polite, then... That's between you and the ladies. So, Ephesians chapter 1. Also, as I mentioned, we will be having communion service immediately following or we'll probably segue right into the message. All are welcome to participate in this most meaningful act of worship, which we do together. And... It's good to see our Johnstown caller here today. Do did you, did you all know, when I first did radio for about 10 years, started by sitting on an orange crate in my office. And they, one time I wanted to get down to the studio and do the radio shows, so they put me in a side room with a telephone. So I stayed home and did it the rest of the time. And we had, the, once in a while, Mike Lee, not our pastor Mike Lee, but the Mike Lee that was the announcer, or Alan Black, or one of the announcers at WPIT, would say, your Johnstown caller is on. And I said, let her through. And that that's Julie. So give a hand to the Johnstown. She was, She. Uh, she's taking care of her husband, the doc, right now, so. Keep them in prayer. This is called the year of today, and it will do double service as the Doctrine of the Mystery Part 10 and introduce what we might call a theme for the year 2020, the year of today. In the epistle to the Hebrews, in chapter 8 and verses 1 and 2, the pastor teacher, and there was a pastoral author to this. He had a very... Pastoral bent to his teaching. The pastor teacher, who is presenting a sermon, basically, having preached and taught for seven chapters in Hebrews, recaps the main point of his treatise. And he writes this, my translation of Hebrews 8, 1 and 2. Now the main point, and that word is kephale. kafale, And that's interesting because that's the center word for a word called anah. Kefaleao, the summing up or the recapitulation of all things, the kephale, K-E-P-H-A-L-E. The main point of what we have been saying is this. We have this kind of high priest, one who sat down on the right side of the throne of majesty. One throne, not two thrones, not a throne at the right of the throne of the father. But the right side of the throne of the majesty, the eternal majesty in the heavens, a minister in the holy places and the true tabernacle, which the Lord set up and not man. I love that phrase alone, which the Lord set up and not man. A good pastor having preached and taught or done a treatise for several chapters, said this is the main point, and we're grateful for that because there's a lot in the epistle to the Hebrews. And the author is unknown, and I've read a lot on who it could be, Paul, Apollos, Priscilla. can't be Priscilla, though, because in Hebrews 11.32, the masculine is used for the writer who speaks. So, sorry, ladies, it wasn't a lady. But we don't know who wrote it. But there are some interesting things about it. When I teach more in depth in Hebrews, I'll let you know some interesting things about it. But now after nine chapters of the doctrine of the mystery, this pastor teacher will recap the main point of our study. The main point of what I've been saying in this series is that God has made known to us the mystery of his will. And that the mystery of his will is to sum up or recapitulate all things and all beings in Christ, the son of his love, and the head of all things, kephale, as he's called in Colossians 1.18. And this mystery of God's will is explicitly stated by Paul in the heart of of this joyous, in fact, ecstatic, one-sentence overture of his primal epistle, Ephesians. And Sherry reminded me, and I have this right in my mind, why that was a run-on sentence. When someone keeps on running on in a sentence, it's because they're very excited. And she also comforted me for flunking English structure. (laughs) Paul flunked it, too. And it's the same as what we call the polysyndeton in Revelation. I kept all that in our translation. The word and is repeated dozens of times, scores of times. I don't know how many times in Revelation. But we kept the polysyndeton or the use of many ands because of the same reason, the ecstatic joy of what John saw. And I saw, and I saw, and I saw a lamb that had been slain, and and, and the and goes all the way for 22 chapters. And so there's an ecstatic sense presented by the polycynism, but there's also an ecstatic ecstatic sense of Paul's joy in announcing to these pagans who had suddenly realized who they were in Christ in this overture, this joyous one-sentence overture of his primal epistle, Ephesians. The overture reads like this, along with the introductory two verses, one and two. So I'm going to read all the way from one one to three to one fourteen, my translation, and I'll emphasize the heart of it. From Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to saints and participants in the faithfulness of Christ Jesus. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of it is one sentence in the Greek text. An ecstatic overture. Verse 3. Praised be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with the fullness of blessing in the heavens in Christ Jesus in far as in love. He elected us in him before the creation of the universe to be sanctified and without blemish before him, predestinating us for adoption through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the benevolent intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, in whom, and here's the heart of it, it begins, I think, in verse 7, goes through 10 in whom we possess redemption through his blood. This will have impact in the communion service. This is the blood, my blood of the covenant, as Jesus said as he introduced the Eucharist. We possess redemption through his blood, the resultant forgiveness of trespasses according to the wealth of his grace that he caused to abound to us along with all wisdom and insight. And here it is in verse 9, by making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his benevolent intention, which he intended in him for the administration of his household in the fullness of times to gather and sum up all things in Christ, things in the heavens, things and beings on earth in him. And we noted in cross-pollination with doing and living theology, this is the external term of the divine missions, which is the divine processions, the divine persons, the divine relations, and the one triune God. In whom, verse 11, you were predestined to be made his inheritance according to the purpose set forth by the one, that's the one God, who effects everything according to the unstoppable resolution of his will. So that we would exist to the praise of his glory, who were the first to hope in Christ. Paul speaking, we Jews as a Jew we Jews would exist to the praise of his glory who were the first to hope in Christ in whom you, verse 13, Gentiles, known as pagans, also heard the word of truth, namely the good news of your salvation in whom also you believed, having been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the down payment of our inheritance until we come into full possession of it in a balloon payment, is the sense, to the praise of his glory. And this gives us an inclusio all the way back to verse 3, the praise of his glory. Now at the heart of this summary and overture, which is given in the ecstasy of the joy of the Lord by Paul with the intention of having that joy be in us. We're given what I call the mystery in toto. The Latin phrase in toto means the mystery in its totality. The mystery of God, which involves his determination. When God makes a resolution, you better believe he keeps it. His resolution to gather in and sum up everything over the course of all time in Christ. That's everything, every being, without exception, in Christ. Now, there are other places in Paul's epistle and his epistolary corpus, all his writings, where the mystery is spoken of. For example, in Colossians 1, 26 to 27, the mystery is described by Paul to the saints in Colossae as, quote, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Christ is now in the Gentiles to whom the gospel was preached and whom the Spirit joined to Christ, however, is only a part of the mystery. It is properly classed as the mystery, but it's not all of it. the mystery, not the mystery in toto. The inclusion of Gentiles with Jews and their mutual union with Christ who indwells them all as one body is indeed the mystery. But it is not all of the mystery. It's only the mystery in part. In fact, of those who are joined to Christ, whatever their gender or class or ethnicity, it is said of them, Christ is all. And in all, tapanta Kai, and Pasin, Christos. A wonderful phrase in the Greek in Colossians three eleven. There's a glory of reading in the Greek that can't be captured in the English. Christ already, in other words, comprises the entity called His body. He is all, and He's in all, without exception. But this is only a preview of the totality of the mystery. The mystery which I call the mystery in toto. That Christ is to be all in all of all created reality. And that leads to the triune God being all and in all of created reality in a mutual universal perichoresis which is the interpenetration of God with all of reality in all of its times. And that's 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-eight. That's the furthest reach of the mystery. Now, when I was a dispensationalist, I talked of the mystery only in terms of Jew and Gentile as one body, and I thought that was the whole thing. But that's just a precursor, and it's even a slight hint of what the mystery in toto is, which is written in the ecstatic overture of Paul's primal epistle, God's intention, resolution, unstoppable determination to sum up all things, and that's the totality of universal created reality in Christ. And he does so by the incarnation, but he does so even more dramatically by something called instaration, which will be the topic as we enter into the next year. In earnest. So, this is what I call the mystery in toto, a mutual universal perichoresis. When the apostle speaks of the mystery as meaning that we shall all be changed, behold, I'm showing you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. Speaking of all humanity, that's a mystery. We will. All be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. He says it in 1 Corinthians 15 51 and following. He's speaking, however, there only of a part of the mystery in toto, namely, that in the process of all things and all beings, rational and otherwise, being summed up in Christ, so that Christ will be universally all in all, in the process, There necessarily has to be a radical alteration of our bodies, our human bodies. Because as Paul said, here's the problem. Flesh and blood, that is as it is in its mortal state, cannot inherit. And that means cannot fully experience or come to the full inheritance of the kingdom of God. Therefore, here's the mystery. We're going to be changed. We're going to be changed. But that's only part of the mystery. The radical alteration of our bodies because flesh and blood as it is in the state of mortality cannot inherit, cannot inhabit, cannot fully experience the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. But that's only... When Paul said, I'm showing you a mystery, he's not saying that's the whole of the mystery. He's saying part of the mystery is that our bodies have to be changed in the process of everything being brought into Christ the resurrected Christ so in many passages where the mystery is referred to or described it's sort of like the ears being spoken of as the whole body as we made comparison of in psalm 40 verses 6 through 8 and hebrews 10 5 through 7 the psalm says it's the messiah speaking And he says, ear canals you have dug out from me that I may hear you and do your will. And then the Hebrews writer, the same pastoral writer, says, a body you have prepared for me. We shouldn't mistake the ears alone for the body. Neither should we mistake partial references of the mystery to the whole of the mystery. And it's only the whole of the mystery that has come to my attention in the past Few years. This isn't an approach. To universal salvation. It requires universal salvation. If we understand the mystery of God. To sum up all beings. Rational and otherwise. In his son Jesus Christ. Then that requires. Universal salvation. Universal salvation is just. A box ticked off in that. It has to be. And that's called logic. Which is also called. Logos. And the Logos is God, and the Logos became flesh in Jesus Christ. So we ought not mistake the ears for the whole body, neither ought we mistake a part of the mystery for the whole. When Paul wrote in Romans sixteen twenty-five to 26, of preaching Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Now notice that. We are, if Jesus Christ is going to be relevant for today, as he's become irrelevant to so many, the way he'll become relevant for today is only if he is preached and proclaimed and taught according to the revelation of this mystery. And that mystery, in Romans 16, 25, and 26... Paul was speaking of the mystery in toto. That may be the last thing Paul wrote. That may be the last thing he wrote, Romans 16, 25 to 27. I tend to think it's a postscript written on the entire collection of his epistles. And if you think about it, it makes sense. But the primal thing that he wrote It's true he wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians 1st, but the primal thing that he wrote is Ephesians 1.10 about the mystery. He showed it in its totality there, in its fullness. And so in Romans 16, 25, 26, the mystery, he was speaking of a revealed secret of God, which is his relentless resolution to sum up everything in the heavens and on earth in Christ. He said this mystery was silent in the writings of the prophets, including the writings of Moses, who was a prophet. So the writings of the prophets include the writings of Moses, which are generally attributed to him, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Although there is also a priestly writer who wrote in Genesis. So there's a a lot of sorting out to do there. But Moses was a prophet. And David was also called a prophet. And he wrote 70 of the Psalms. So many of the Psalms that David wrote, he wrote about this mystery. But it was silent. That which was silent for ages past has been commanded to speak up. As Paul says, the eternal God has commanded it to be so. Now, if the the eternal God has commanded that which was silent in the Old Testament to speak up, then the Old Testament can be surveyed now in a way that's extraordinary and that shows the apocatastasis, the renovation, the restoration of all things. And that's what Peter said in Acts 3.21. And as Jesus said, Moses spoke about me. In John five forty seven, And so, we may now hear God speak univocally in the holy prophets from time immemorial of, quote, the times of restoration of all things. Notice it says the times of restoration of all things. Cronon apocatastasios panton. Acts 3.21, times of the restoration of all things, that which Paul called in Ephesians 1.10, the administration of God's universal household, which is the universe itself, in the fullness of times, once again, to gather and sum up all things in Christ. And that means things and beings, rational and otherwise, in the heavens and on earth, in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1.10. So now, we may read the Old Testament afresh and read it knowing that the main point that God is speaking throughout it in types, in metaphors, in various ways, and at various times, that he's speaking in direct prediction and pictorial presentation about the restoration, about the summing up, about the new creation of all things and all beings in his Son. That's the Old Testament message. No Old Testament survey taught in any seminary or Bible college or church is worth its salt if it doesn't emphasize this main point that which the pastoral writer of Hebrews called, strangely enough, kephalion, to be more exact. K-E-P-H-A-L-A-I-O-N. Kephalion. And guess what that's related to? A word that's not easy to write. Anna. Kephale. Ah-oh. oh Anna a o oh, Omakron Omega Kephale. Notice that? The main point in Kephale is to sum up under the headship of Christ. Now if you sum up under the headship of someone, then all things are his body, not just the church made up of Jews and Gentiles that the Holy Spirit is baptized into organic union with Christ but all things. He who is head over all things is for now, just for today, the head of the church, which is his body, which is for now the full complement of Christ. For now, in anticipation of his coming. Remember my death until I come. And so, A.T. Robertson, in dealing with this exegetically, calls this word kephaleaon, a word that is at the root, and he even said it in his exegesis, of kephalaiao in Ephesians 1.10. He called this word kephalaiao which is the key word, really, and I think it's even more important in description than apocatastasis. He called this word, quote, a late compound verb, ana, and and he said from kephalaon, Hebrews 8.1, and from kephale, meaning head, which is to head up all things in Christ, and he called it a literary word. Christ is to be head of the body, which is the all things, the all things. When it's ta panta, it's not just referring to all things, so that you can translate it as all classes of things. It's all things without exception, without losing one of those things or beings, angelic or human or otherwise. And this is the root of love. Now for now, and this is where a second gear comes, because I'm calling 2020 the year of today. For now, today, Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body, consisting of all who have been awakened to faith in him by the Holy Spirit and who have been baptized into him by the Holy Spirit. There is a sense, as we've seen, a very real sense that all humanity are already in Christ rather than in Adam. But God wakes up individuals one by one sometimes many at once, by the Holy Spirit and then imparts faith to them and baptizes them into an organic and real union with Christ, which is an experience of salvation rather than perishing. And perishing simply means continuing under the oppressive slavery of sin and the fear of death held over people by the devil. If Jesus Christ is going to be effectively preached for our time, for today, he must be proclaimed according to the revelation of the mystery of God's great intention to sum up everything in him. You tell people that gospel and they start to think. They start to possibly consider we live in a time of scientism. Not, now, there's nothing wrong with science, but scientism, and I even looked it up, the American Heritage College Dictionary says, the belief that the investigative methods of the physical sciences are applicable or justifiable in all fields of inquiry. That's scientism. So if it doesn't square with investigative methods then it doesn't square with reality according to scientism. That's basically making an idol out of scientific investigation. It's a belief that essentially dismisses theology, which used to be the queen of the sciences in our colleges and universities. used to be called the queen of the sciences. Now it's dismissed. Not because of science, but because of scientism. And it's interesting because it dismisses theology and therefore dismisses or neglects the kingdom of God, which Jesus explicitly stated as if seeing forward to this time, to today. It does not come with scientific investigation. It can't be observed by observation. Luke seventeen twenty. Today, telescopes can show us the seeming infinite immensity of the celestial universe. In fact, it's claimed that the latest telescopes can view the very beginning of the universe in what is known as a Big Bang, which may very well be the moment God created the heavens and the earth. Telescopes today can show us the seeming infinite immensity of the celestial universe And on the other hand, microscopes can show us the wonders of previously unseen infinitesimal worlds. When popular books are written with titles like A Brief History of Time and The Theory of Everything and The Grand Design, all by the late Stephen Hawking. Not to be confused, incidentally, with a book called The History of Time and the Genesis of You by Peter Hyatt, which is a very good book. It's a new, fresh look at Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 4. I'm in the middle of it now. It's really well worth reading. But today is the time to proclaim Jesus Christ as the one through whom God created all things and the one whom God the Father appointed heir of all things and who will fill up everything with himself a fusion of Ephesians one twenty two and four eight to ten with Hebrews one three is magnificent. Today identity has come to the social and cultural forefront, and this is of God. Identity has come to the cultural and social forefront, where people are clamoring, sometimes with a kind of evident desperation to be identified as such-and-such an ethnicity or as such-and-such a gender. I am not judging this trend at all, and neither should we. We don't judge this trend. You know why? It's the human condition today. It's the human condition today. In a time like this, we proclaim Jesus Christ according to the disclosure of a mystery which reveals human identity to be defined by the image of God, which is Christ. And in whom God has made all of humanity. I identify as Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in says the scripture, is not only an individual person, but Christ is like the human body, having many parts, but the whole is Christ. The true human being is made in the image of God, and the image of God is Christ. Let us make humanity in our image, and the image of God is Christ. That's the gospel of the glory of the Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4. So, today, we proclaim the gospel that our identity, all of our identities, are to be defined and identified with Christ, who is the image of God, and in whom God has made all humanity. In a time like this, we preach the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, compared with Genesis one twenty six. But this gospel is hidden. It's hidden. However, Paul said, it's veiled to those who do not believe God to be that gracious. And that includes millions who go by the label Christian. In fact, those who go by the label Christian are the most adept at hiding the gospel of the glory of the Christ. The gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, who is the beginning and the end, and by the blood of whose cross peace was made so that all things and all beings in the heavens and on earth will be reconciled to God and to one another. Yes, this gospel is hidden to the lost, to the perishing, in whom the God of this age has blinded with blinders of scientism, of self-importance, of Christianity that preaches a God of eternal wrath and vengeance, with the blinders of religiosity and the pride of intellect or the pride of natural heritage or the deception of talent or strength or ability or wealth or by the myth that the whore of Babylon adopted, everything's okay with me, and no disaster will ever come to my door, or to me, or to my family, and therefore, let's stiff-arm God. For those of us who know that we are in Christ, and that Christ is in us, let's enter a year that we may call the year of today. Today, if you hear his voice, Don't harden your hearts. Don't let the still, small voice be drowned in a cacophony of voices and noise. If you're attentive, you will hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus says. They follow me. And I give them the life of the coming age. John ten twenty six and 27. Today, today, his voice may be heard. Each day you can be awakened by his voice. By some verse recalled. By some segment of a message. Some word of encouragement with which you may encourage others. For as Isaiah 50 in verse 4 says, morning by morning, he wakens my ear to hear and he gives me a word with which I can encourage the weary. For Jesus Christ, yesterday and today and to the ages, is the same. Jesus Christ yesterday and today the same and to the ages hebrews 13:8 i love what it happened in acts 1:11 the disciples were gawking up into the air at the ascension of jesus christ <laughs> the angels said you men of galilee why do you stand here gawking into heaven this same Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in the same way as you've seen him go into heaven. This same Jesus. And it's almost like Peter continued the message of those angelic couriers and even carried on in the same sentence in acts 33 rather th- acts 321 speaking of this same jesus he says whom the heaven must receive until the times of the restoration of all things apo katastasios panton which god has spoken listen carefully by the mouth of all his holy prophets from time immemorial. All his holy prophets. Starting with Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1 speaks of what? The restoration of all things. The new creation of all things in Christ. The end is the beginning. And the beginning is the end. I declare the end from the beginning. In the beginning. In the beginning of Genesis. God declares the end which is the summation of all things in the heavens and on earth in Christ. Moses was a prophet. He wrote Genesis 1.1. He spoke there of, as all the holy prophets did, God spoke through all of them. We call it univocally, one voice of God, all the holy prophets without exception, one mouth. God spoke through one mouth of all the holy prophets about what? The apocatastasis the restoration of all things, the new creation of all things in Christ. That's the message that's now speaking where it was once silent in the Old Testament. Even in the so-called judgment passages, all judgment passages, including Ephesians or rather, including Hebrews 6, 4 through 8, the scary one. In Hebrews ten twenty six to 31, all judgment passages, without exception in the Old or the New Testament, are within, these judgment passages are within a larger concentric circle of the apokatastasis of all things. All judgment, in fact, the judgment passage also comes to Jesus Christ and him crucified where he was crucified for the sins of the world and put away the sin of the world all judgment passages are in a tiny circle and a bigger circle surrounds it and it's the circle of God's universal grace and we'll see that more and more I think in the coming year Lord willing so today if you hear his voice don't Harden your hearts. How can you harden your heart? By another thought intruding and taking over. A thought of anxiety. A thought of stress. A thought of somebody in your family who's causing a ruckus. And you can spend hours thinking about that person and blow off the assurance that God is trying to give you through his voice. You're hardening your heart. Sometimes it's tempting to harden our hearts. If there's people that we love who are straying, we almost want to give up on them. We never do. I never do. But you're tempted to harden your heart and just say, ah, forget it. Don't harden your heart. It says, today, meaning his voice may be heard. Hebrews 3.13 and 14 says this, but encourage each other daily while it is still called Today, today we can do that better than we ever did. Now, don't overwhelm people with it, but we have this thing at our fingertips, literally. Did you hear about so-and-so? How about a word of encouragement? Bing, send it. Just a word of encouragement. Somebody's in a mess, and they're just, and then all of a sudden, you heard the word of life today from the Lord. You pass it on to somebody who didn't hear it. And you encourage them. So it says encourage each other daily while it is still called today. I guarantee you that for the rest of 2020, it'll always be called today. Wherever you find yourself in 2020, you'll say it's today and you'll be right. So while it is still called today, Jesus Christ is the same today. As he was yesterday, as we read about him in the Gospels, compassionate, overwhelming love, sometimes rebuking, sometimes chiding, always teaching, always healing, then he gives himself in total self-sacrifice for the sin of the world, same then as he is now. And he will be through all the ages. Today, so that no one of you would be hardened by sin's deception. I think that's a capital S, sin as a personified being. Verse 14, for we have become companions of the Messiah, if indeed we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. Someone says, you mean we'll be unsaved if we don't do that? No, it just says we can't claim to be Messiah's companions. I'm so careful to do that, not to do that. In fact, if someone would say, are you a Christian? I'd almost, it's not out of shame, but I'd have to say, let me think about this because a Christian is someone who manifests the life of Jesus in his or her mortal body. So let me think about it. Am I a Christian? Well, yeah. And if you think about it that way in 2 Corinthians four ten to 11, you don't take it so lightly. We can't claim to be companions of the one who persevered in faithfulness to the end of his mission. If we don't hold firmly to our confidence in the hope for things to the end, that is, either to our death or to the realization of those hope for things, which will happen when he comes, when I come. Till I come. He is coming. And in that moment, every eye will see him. Every knee will genuflect. Every tongue will sing praise to him. All flesh will experience the salvation of God. That salvation of God happens to be Yeshua. Jesus. Today, let's hear his voice then. Today. Today. Never mind, I have the conviction of universal salvation. I'm okay. No, today is another thing. Today. Let's hear his voice then. Today, let's allow the recall of teaching on the mystery of God's will to sum up everything in Christ. I hope I don't hear at the end of 2020, hey, Rick, what's the mystery of God's will? To somebody who's been here this whole time. And it'll happen. What do you think the mystery is? I just thought of that today. I woke up with a thought. What do you think the mystery of God's will is? And I'll say, were you there every time during the 10 times I taught on that? Oh, yeah. Oh, were you hearing his voice? I hope you weren't just listening to mine. Don't ask me that at the end of 2020. I'll fit you with lenses. 2020 lenses, get it? Anyways, so as we move to communion, today, let's allow the recall of teaching by the Holy Spirit, God's will to sum up everything in Christ. Today, let's live not for ourselves, but for him who died and who arose from the dead. 2 Corinthians 5.15. We have at our fingertips quite literally the means to encourage one another daily. Let's do that. In this year called 2020. Let's let this year be the year of today. Because all through this year. It will be today. And all through this year. Jesus Christ will be the same. The same in his overflowing compassion. The same in his mercy. The same in his steadfast and faithful love for you, and in you, and through you, for the world, for all of creation. And let us encourage ourselves in the Lord, like David did. David encouraged himself in the Lord when everything was lost. And guess what happened? God restored everything. Read it, First Samuel 30 and verse 6. So encourage yourself. All will be restored. Today his voice may be heard. As you stand or sit or kneel or walk or ride or lie down and present your body to him, commit your soul to your faithful creator. Give your heart to him to be taught of him and entrust your spirit into his hands. As you do this, there may be silence. But even the silence of God is eloquent. In his silence, the almost voiceless voice, so quiet that it may seem totally silent, the still, small voice Will be heard. It is the voice of God speaking in His Son, speaking in the Spirit, speaking in the Spirit of truth and grace, speaking to your Spirit, to your soul, to your heart, words of assurance, words of comfort, words of faith. Because faith, you see, is the very substance and assurance of all that we hope for and the inner evidence of invisible realities not scientifically observable. Especially the reality that is Jesus, in whom is all of created reality, and in whom is embodied all of uncreated divinity in one person. Jesus is the eternal word, and God never stops speaking him And he never stops being spoken to you. God gives us today the bread of tomorrow's messianic banquet. That's what Jesus said, pray for. Give us today the bread of tomorrow. Not give us this day our daily bread. Give us today, today, hmm, today, the bread that will be served in the messianic banquet tomorrow when he comes. That's what the communion is about, eating the bread that will be served at the Messianic banquet. This bread is my body. It comes, that bread, in the form of the word of life, which we eat. We metabolize it so that the word becomes to us the joy and the rejoicing of our heart. It is the word of life which we hold forth in Philippians 2.16 to a world that's alienated from the life of God. By the word, we redeem the time in Ephesians 5.16 because Paul said it, the days are perniciously, infectiously, distractingly evil. But we have Asher's promise that our strength by the grace of Christ will be sufficient to each day. Read Asher's promise in Deuteronomy 33.25. The promise Moses, the prophet, gave to Asher, one of the sons of Jacob. We have Asher's promise that our strength will be sufficient to each day we live. As it says in the original, as your days, your strength. Sufficient to each day, Jesus said, is the evil thereof. So don't think about tomorrow. Sufficient to this day is the adversity in it is the misery index in it. Sufficient to this day is the suffering appointed, but sufficient to this day also is the grace that God gives in his son. Sufficient to every day is the grace of Christ. Be strong in it is your main assignment. 2 Timothy 2.1 Be strong in it, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Today, today, hear his voice my power is perfected in weakness my grace is enough for you day by day my grace is enough for you today and I will never leave you and never forsake you I am the same Yesterday, today, and to all the ages. Father, we thank you for a word that came from your son. We thank you for the word that is your son, in whom you have spoken. And you have spoken in me. You have spoken in all of us. You have spoken your son. And as we now make our way to celebrate your son and to celebrate and recall his death until he comes, we thank you for this. We approach these elements that represent his body and his blood, his incarnate flesh, and his redemptive death. As we approach these elements, we do so with profound and solemn thanksgiving. All right, please follow the lead of the ushers. All are welcome. None are are obligated. And we will close with the communion service. We always wait until everyone has received the elements as is commanded in the word. And we recognize there are many that can't be with us, sometimes because of illness. I understand the flu is gripping a few people. So I've called for a stop to that today <laughs> with the Lord. So we do we do recognize that not only are all believers together with us, but in a sense all of God's redemptive creation is with us today. But more than that, our Lord Jesus Christ is present today. And I always pray that his presence will be known in a very intimate way by all of us. The renewed humanity through the cross of Christ, that is by what we call instaration, is comprised of Christ in anticipation of Christ being all in all, in all of created reality in all of its times. And so we are the anticipation of God being all in all universally and diachronically. This is the mystery of God. Christ not only Christ the individual person but Christ as all of created reality in all of its times brought about by the impact of his cross the impact of his death call it apocatastasis call it anacephaliosis call it pollen as Jesus did the new creation Call it the reconciliation of all things in the heavens and on earth. Call it the new creation of all things for eternal life. But by whatever name you call it, it is by instauration, the universal, reconciliatory, redemptive, rectifying impact of the cross of Christ, which is the summing up of all things and all beings rational and otherwise in Christ. So that Jesus Christ comprises all things and all things and all beings living but not living on its own. Christ living in all. Fleming Rutledge wrote this in her masterpiece book on the crucifixion. She wrote, the sacrifice of Christ was not God's reaction to human sin but an inherent original movement Within God's very being. It is the very nature of God to offer God's self sacrificially. So when we remember his death, we remember that. Jesus commanded us to remember his death. Remember my death until I come. Until I come. Our fathers in ages before the death of Jesus were never given this privilege. We to whom God has spoken in a son have this distinct privilege. Only we live between his death and his coming. Moses didn't, Abraham didn't, Jacob, Isaac, the fathers. And so we live in this privileged segment of history looking back at his death and his resurrection looking forward to his coming we to whom God has spoken in a son have this privilege for he appeared once in the end of the ages to put away sin by the offering of himself and we look for him to come again with salvation until I come remember my death it is by my death that all will be redeemed resurrected, rectified, renewed, and made ever new with eternal life and health. This is my body given for you. Eat the bread. And this is the cup of my blood of the new covenant, of the new creation, of the new all things, Which is given and poured out for you. Drink it. Father, we have drunk a toast to your Son and to the impact of his death, which will be revealed only finally in his coming, when according to your mystery, we will be changed. We look so forward to that because we look so confidently. Back to his death. We follow the tradition that after the original initial communion or Eucharist, the disciples sang a hymn as they walked out and as Jesus went to his destiny, which ultimately was his resurrection and ours. So we'll close with a hymn. Please dispose of your cups on the way out and don't fellowship until you're in the hall and give credit. Or give courtesy to the ladies who will be praying. And some of you men might have to wait, but the Steeler game doesn't happen till 4.20. So thank you for your ten- attentiveness. We won't be here Wednesday, but we'll hopefully be here next Sunday, next time we meet.